All right, so I'm going to do something that I've never done for you before. At least I don't think so. Um, and something that I was really scared to do when I was like in high school and I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a pastor one day. Oh, but how am I going to preach every week? I don't know how I'll be able to do that. Um, I'm going to preach on the psalm. Um, the psalms are awesome. I immerse myself in them every day. I'm on a, a thing where I read all the psalms over the course of 30 days on like a, rep- like a repeating thing. And so Psalm 19 is a big one. It's C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm. It's uh, what's written on the founder of NASA, Werner von Braun. It's written on his tombstone. So, yeah, you can live like this exceptionally outstanding life as a remarkable genius, and you can remain humble. And uh, you can go through your life and go to death pointing to Jesus Christ like Werner von Braun, a good Lutheran. Um, And I highly encourage you to follow along either in the Bible or just in your bulletin in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, a Davidic psalm written by King David. You know, it's like one of those ones that say, a psalm of David. Um, It's about God's perfection and how his perfection is revealed through his creation or what y'all might call nature and his word. And then it closes with the response in worship from the one who is singing it. It might be you. It was David. It was definitely Jesus. All Christians, all, uh, of the, all the people of Israel looking to Jesus, they all prayed these psalms. And it's something that unites us all. And so we begin with these first six verses about how God reveals his glory and his power and his perfect ordering through the eloquence of creation. What's interesting is Paul makes the same argument in the book of Romans. It's how he starts it off. You know, besides in Romans 1, when he kind of lambasts all of us, including himself, for our sinfulness, he says, what, what can be known about God is plain to them or people because God has shown it to them. He says his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things which have been made, so that all people are without excuse. Without excuse, of course, for knowing that there is a higher power. I mean, who here hasn't seen something beautiful? I'm going to take a moment and, you know, maybe let's exclude art created by people, though, of course, that's beautiful stuff. But I'm talking about, like, a sunrise, a sunset, maybe with your loved one, or the hot chick at school. 
Maybe your first baby being born. Maybe the last one that was born. Maybe, I don't know, your pet, your hamster, chewing on something. Maybe a plant growing after a dark winter, you know. They're all beautiful things, and it lets us know in little ways, often in private, or at least if we're in a a room full of people, like when a baby's being born. I don't know, I haven't been there yet, but uh, maybe you feel like it's just you and God. Well, that's what the first couple lines are trying to tell us. The heavens declare the the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. His signature is on all that. God's. Day to day he pours out speech and night to night he reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul later quote this psalm in that line when he talks about how God's word has made it even all the way back then to the ends of the known world. Everyone, of course, is now without excuse, as he previously mentions. But when he mentions a measuring line, David, he's talking about that measuring line of God's word, his law. It measures up. We were talking about in men's Bible study last night, not to measure someone else without the measure that you know you will be measured with. And that's the key to understanding Jesus's uh, command to us, judge not lest you be judged by the same measure that you use. And so God's word has gone out and is a measuring line that measures everyone equally, which can be scary but it can be reassuring. The rules don't change. It all makes sense. It's quite beautiful. And these next few lines, when he talks about the sun, S-U-N, the sun in the sky, he says, in them, so in the sky, he has set a tent for the sun which goes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Quite beautiful. He's he's writing about the sun, the sun in the sky, but he's using the sun in the sky to talk about the son of God and the son of God who is the word of God. The sun in the sky, it's beautiful, it's, it's above all things, it's bright, yet, as he says here, it's obedient. It goes where God sets it. It starts over here, and it goes across the sky, and it goes down over there. It has a set course. Just like how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is above all things, beautiful, gives warmth, gives light to all things, but is perfectly obedient And runs his course from birth to life to suffering to death. 
to rising again. Just like the sun in the sky. And yeah, Jesus is also like a bridegroom. He loves his wife, the church. In this way, he dies for her. And, you know, if you've ever been married or if you plan on it, there's something in the vow that talks about, are you willing to love your wife like Jesus loves the church? And that's hard to say yes to. Because, right, you say, I will. You don't say, I do. Only in the movies you say, I do. I will be willing to die for my wife because that's how Jesus loves his wife. Yeah, I'll try my best. I'll try to be like the sun. And so we shift. We shift into the next few verses, which are about the clarity of Scripture. And how the clarity of Scripture is what makes it beautiful. Now, I remember writing a scholarship essay in, uh, in, uh, in seminary. And it's funny because you get like these emails every once in a while and they're like, you have to submit something to the scholarship or we're kicking you out of school. <laughs> and so you, you shoot it out. And I remembered writing half awake an essay about the clarity of scripture. I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful because it's clear. Everyone, anyone can understand it. If you just read it slow enough, if you just read it enough, you'll get it at some point. You'll interpret it some way. It will make your life better. But let's, let's look at it here real quick. In, at 7, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Do you see how... We can still hold the word or the sun that we was talking about before and kind of plug in the sun. And if the sun is the sun in the sky, it's also the son of God for all of these uh, times that they talk about the law or the word. The law of the son of God is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus is the bread of life, the unending spring of water that revives your soul. On a hot day, nothing is hidden from his heat. Yes, but he revives your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word is so clear. It's so sure, as he says here, that even the most simple person can think on it and become wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You look at it and you say, he said the right thing. That's true. Maybe I don't even understand it yet, but if I keep at it, I will. But I know it's true. The commands of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, yeah? You're glad to see God's word because it fills you with mercy and joy to share with other people. God has forgiven me. God has been merciful to me. 
God has been joyful, though I am down. And therefore, I can be joyful for other people. I can be merciful to someone else. I can forgive even someone who hates me. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. It's not degraded. It's not degrading. It's not chipping away. It doesn't change, even though we have had it for thousands of years. I'll sit down and look at the manuscripts with you. It's beautiful. Just like how the sun gets up in the sky and goes across it and goes down and does it again the next day. So the word of the Lord endures forever. The just decrees of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They stand up against other ideas because it is the truth. It's so interesting, you know, just as you get older, even though I'm young, I understand each each day that I get older, I make it makes more and more sense to me that. God's word is to be more desired than gold, even more so than fine gold, and that it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb because you have something and then it gets old and you throw it away. You're excited about something, it comes, you have it, it gets old and you're done with it. Often it loses value, like, I don't know, like I don't want to say it, but our cars, you drive it off the lot All of a sudden, you know, you got tricked into it. It's not an asset. It's a liability. Oh, boy. But the word of the Lord is true yesterday. It's true today. And I know it's going to be true tomorrow. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The sun rose this morning. It went down. It's going to come up again tomorrow. And then it's going to go down. It even says on my watch... It's going to come up at 6.48 in the morning. We know when it's going to come up. It's the same. And boy, is it sweeter than honey. When I was telling a room full of a family on Friday who are mourning the loss of their grandma, their mom, their aunt, she raised all of the people in the room, basically, it was quite a tragic tale. Uh, the, the, the kind of mom and mom for other people that she was able to be is just beautiful. And I, I applaud her for it. Um, when I was able to tell these people, she's not going to stay this way. She's going to rise again. God's going to put her back together and make her new and beautiful. It was a promise they'd never heard before. It was sweeter than honey. In the face of death on a rainy, dark day, Jesus' twofold promise of eternal life, but a resurrection truly bodily on the last day. To be perfect with Jesus, but also with grandma, also with your husband, also with your baby. It's beautiful. It's sweeter than honey. And so, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent.
from my hidden faults. You bet he does. You bet he does. Something that uh, Martin Luther was really, really, really upset with was going to confession with a priest. Because he was, he knew that everyone was scared to go in there and stop doing it because they knew that they would have to spill the beans about everything, even to the point where they would be making things up, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, I, you know, I stole the, the, Pears from the, the, the store. Sonny, there's no pears in Germany. You're making that up. You've got to confess for that too, you know? And so instead, Luther made sure that confession and absolution in, in, in the church, in the true church that he would uh, be writing documents for, when we had a right for it, We would make sure, no, you don't have to spill the beans about everything. Only what is weighing on your heart. And you just need to tell someone about it. You want to tell God. And you tell God maybe all the time. But you need to hear God's words of forgiveness through the person whom he sent to give you that surety. to declare you innocent from even the most hidden of faults. And now 13, I want to help y'all with this one. We did ESV, because that's, you know, the standard, I guess. Everybody's using ESV these days. But I think it's a little confusing. Does anyone... I, I went into the sermon not really knowing what they're trying to say by keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What in the world does presumptuous sins mean? Well, let me tell you, in the New Living Translation, we only got New Testaments out there, but they got an old too. It's clear. Keep back your servant also from deliberate sin. And that's hard, Right? I always want to do the wrong thing, even though my mind or my heart, my faith tells me not to do the wrong thing. And so I can only plead to God, help me to not do deliberate sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Yeah? Well, Paul also references this in Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present the members of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So death to life. Why does he say death to life? Well, it's because at the beginning of chapter 6, right, that's what we always say at the beginning of a baptism. And at a funeral, when we're doing the remembrance of baptism, when we're baptized, we're brought into Jesus' death and into his life, his resurrection. You are brought from death to life. He closes, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 
All those Ten Commandments that we recapped in the Old Testament reading, all that stuff that John was trying to get you to do, yeah, we should do that stuff. But it's not, there's no carrot at the end of the horse for doing those things in terms of salvation. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of works so that no one can boast, right? In your baptism, you're brought from death to life. Let me finish up with just a little note on baptism. Now, I'm always trying to get you guys to remember your baptisms or to think of it each morning throughout the day, how you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're brought from death to life. You're given faith. You're given salvation. You are made children of God, little brothers and sisters of Jesus. I'm here to ask you to make your baptism something you use every day out there. Because if your baptism's in the rearview mirror, if it's in the past and it stayed there, or if it's only works while you're here, then what good is it for, right? Your baptism points you to Christ's death and resurrection. It points you to the forgiveness of your sins that were won there in his death and his resurrection, but the forgiveness that you can then offer others because other people are trapped. You might know Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he forgives you, but other people don't. They feel the weight of their guilt. They might even know who Jesus is, but they don't know that his forgiveness is for them and that he truly is alive And he daily gives you new grace and forgiveness in your baptism, in your trust, in your faith, in his forgiveness. Only this is what can end fights. Only this is what can end wars, rivalries, and hatred. And the Holy Spirit will help you if you ask. Early on in the psalm, David says, day by day, God's word is poured out in your life. I think it's third verse. Sorry, I already flipped over the piece of paper. Second verse. He says, night by night, he reveals to you knowledge, whether that be the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ whether that be the knowledge that your sins are forgiven, whether it be the knowledge that I ought to live a different way. No matter what it is, it's yours. It really is yours. I'm just here to remind you of it. These last few verses are the response to the glory of a perfect God found in his creation and his word. It's the response of worship. And what is worship other than faith? Other than confession to God, being honest with God, that's what confession is. Expecting perfect and full forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
David pours his heart out as God pours his heart out in his creation and his word in this psalm. And so David leaves these last words as a confession before God as a sacrifice. He says, please let this be acceptable. Everything I admitted to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And not, O Lord, my judge. He doesn't say, O Lord, my judge, let this this sacrifice be acceptable. He says, O Lord, my rock, my refuge, what I'm sure of, my redeemer, who will be my savior, who saves me by my faith in you. Thank you, Jesus. You're my savior. You're my redeemer. You're my rock. You're my sure thing. Thank you for looking down on us and remembering us in our misery, in our pain, in our suffering. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rising again so we could live a new life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.